Hi everyone, uh, Dave here. Thank you for coming along to another episode of the podcast. Uh, this is Legends of the Spire, the podcast that talks to the former players and managers of Chesterfield Football Club. Now, for player interview number 48 today, I have another goalkeeper with us. I have my fair share of goalkeepers now uh, from various different eras. Always really good fun to speak to. Uh, today, it's the turn of Andy Leaning. Now, Andy had a great career at clubs like York, Lincoln and Bristol City before joining Chesterfield in the mid-1990s when he was in his early 30s uh, as competition uh, for Billy Mercer. As well as competition for Billy, he was also coaching as well. Uh, so over those three or four seasons, uh, he played, did play uh, a whole handful uh, of games, including uh, ones against clubs like Man City, uh, as well as acting uh, as cover for Billy around that whole FA Cup run time too. He did actually then come back to Chesterfield for a little bit as coach uh, under Nicky Law uh, when we had Nathan Abbey in there. So uh, it was good to speak to him about both playing and coaching uh, and his career as a whole. Uh, as always, we are at Spire Legends on uh, Twitter and Instagram, Legends of the Spire on Facebook, so please do get in touch. Uh, this uh, podcast all came around uh, thanks to uh, a listener to the podcast, Rob, uh, who had a friend of a friend who knew Andy. Uh, so if you do know players through friends of friends or whatever, please do ask on my behalf. It would be much appreciated. Uh, so here we are with the latest episode of Legends of the Spire. It's another keeper today. It's Andy Leaning. start then with British Rail and then going into football? Well I've been a, um, as a 14 year old I've been connected with Middlesbrough Football Club uh, which is just down the road from where we lived in New York and I was you know hopefully trying to get an apprenticeship there which didn't actually work out. Uh, they took another lad called Kellen Mohan who had a good career in football and uh, he was just slightly older than me and he took the apprenticeship. So they wanted to keep me sort of on a non-contract basis but York City came in and offered a trial as well. And that went well. And a chap called Barry Lyons, who was the youth coach at that time, offered me um, the apprenticeship, which I was delighted. That's what exactly what I wanted to do. But in typical Northern uh, <laughs> England, certainly Yorkshire in those days, my dad put an arm on my shoulder and said, listen, son, you get in the trade before you start thinking about football. And uh, that's, that's, you know, that's exactly what I did. But I played for the intermediates for, for that season. We had a really good season, getting to the, the League Cup final and everything. It was pretty some good players. People like John Byrne played in there. And so it was good. And that's actually where I first met Kevin Randall. Um, Kevin was a, was a senior pro at York then and eventually went to be youth coach. So that was my first introduction to Kevin, who figured throughout my career, all throughout my career. Um, but after that first uh, season, I used to just go and play on a Saturday, train the odd time, but they needed people to, to be for training and small-sided games, 11 v 11s, and I couldn't commit to that after signing this apprenticeship, which lasted till I was 21. Mm. So it was sort of intimated to me that if I didn't, they'd have to look for somebody else. And unfortunately, at the end of that season, that somebody else arrived and it was like called Mick Asprey who actually had a, a spell at Chesterfield uh, at, at some point so Mick took the apprenticeship and I had to take a back seat and that and I went back into local football but uh, in hindsight it was it was probably the best thing I ever did um, you know I sort of grew up in a man's world and you know learned all the, the bits and pieces that go with it and and played local football at you know a young age really 16 17 and it was in the old Yorkshire League 
and literally got battered. You know, you're a young kid and you were, you were just raw meat for some of these lads who were just going to shift down the pit. And, but it toughened me up. Um, I was I was bitterly disappointed not to be pursuing my dream of football. I'd be a professional footballer. And I actually thought my, my, uh, my chance had gone. And the years progressed. And we were, I think we're going to talk about the, the Liverpool game that York played. The season previous, um, York played Liverpool again at, uh, at Bootham Crescent. And Mick played in goal, Mick Asprey. Whilst I was delighted for him, I must admit, the pangs in my heart were thinking, yeah. oh, if I had that contract, would it have been me today? And it was against, the initial one was against Arsenal, which they beat. And uh, and then they beat Arsenal 1-0 and then went to play Liverpool. So I was delighted for him, delighted for the lads that were involved, but gutted for myself. And it, it sort of, this had been a period about four or five years. I was sort of 21 myself now, comes to the end of this apprenticeship. And I thought, right, I'm going to get myself fit here. Let's, let's give it one more go if we can. And quite by chance at the end of that season, um, I was working in Leeds. Uh, for the railway and uh, I was working with this old boy he was a real nice fella and he wasn't there that particular day so I'm sat on this bench having my cup of tea at dinner time and talk about fate the phone rang in the room now we're in this office block where there's only actually normally two people in it and actually one person today and I looked at the phone drinking my tea I thought well, it can't be for me nobody knows I'm here um, and it rang again so I picked the phone up and it was Viv Busby who was the assistant manager at York City and he said, oh, Andy, would you do us a big favour? Could you play in our reserves tonight against Sunderland? And I said, yeah, of course I can. I said, but I'm, I'm in Leeds at the moment. He said, oh, just get here when you can. It's seven o'clock kickoff. So shot home, got changed, grabbed my boots, went to the ground. And uh, it was just a case of filling in for, for the last four games of the season, as it turned out. And anyway, everything went all right on the night. Dennis Smith pulled me into the office, the old the manager, and he, he said, go on, explain your circumstances. I explained that I'd been at the club previously. And he said, well, if you want to play in the last four reserve games, come do it. So we did. And it went very well for me. And at the end of that season, I was called in and he said, what, what is your situation with your job now? And I said, well, I've just come to the end of the apprenticeship. I was expecting, you know, if we ever need you again, can, we, can you fill in for us? And he said, well, we'd like to offer you a one-year contract. And so my dream had turned, you know, from being total despair to getting a foot back in the door. And obviously Mick was still number one at the club. And, and, and that's how I got really, that's how I got back into professional football. Did it, did it take a, because I had Steve Grizovich on the podcast, who obviously started in the police. He was like, yeah. uh, he right. chucked him into the police before he could become <laughs> a footballer. And he was saying that it like, removed a bit of the pressure because he knew that if it didn't quite go how it how he planned it to be that he had something to fall back on I suppose or go back to I can't honestly I was just glad to get going into I wanted to play football um it was my dream it was the way it was what I wanted to to be and and I suppose really when I left the railway the the boss said to me he said Andy look if it doesn't work out you can always come back so but I never really considered it like that um, but I must admit the transformation from amateur footballer to playing sort of twice a week, really, and maybe a bit of five-a-side on Tuesday night, and then going into professional training, that was the biggest hurdle I had to, um, to get over. And I struggled massively, you know, with the, with the physical fitness, and there was no real goalkeeper coach or anything like that in those days. You were just throwing it in the deep end. We'd turn up at York Knavesmeyer, and uh, it was 16 furlongs straight around the, uh, straight around the edge of the... Of course, you know, that was that was our pre-season look for us for at least 10 days. And 
you know, all the physical side of it. And I, I really struggled initially. And, uh, and then eventually I sort of got to grips with things. And uh, uh, Viv Busby, who was the coach at the, at the time, he used to do a bit of me on, on, a, on an afternoon, on a Thursday, just him and me. And it was, it was brilliant for me. He was a great motivator. He wasn't a goalkeeper coach, but he could strike a good ball and do a few drills. And he just sat me down one day and he said, how, how are you finding it? I said, well, I love every minute of it. He said, but I'm knackered. I said, I just finished one session and, and then, you know, go home, sleep on the sofa, come back. And he, he just said, oh, Andy, you, you relax, you're doing really well, you're doing okay. And it sort of took a weight off my shoulders, really. Just, you know, I was, I was still a bit sort of, am I good enough? Can I compete at this level? I'm struggling a little bit in training. And actually, from that point onwards, it, it, life got a little bit simpler for me and I started to improve in training and we had a good spell in the, uh, in the reserves. And then, unfortunately, a chance came along in the November of, uh, of that, that season. Uh, York City were playing Bristol Rovers and Mick Asprey was in goal and he got absolutely splattered come out for a ball slid out for a ball and gone right through he broke his cheekbone so that opened the, the door for me to play on the uh, on the Tuesday night at Newport County so I remember the debut Newport, 1-1 draw was it? I think it was a 1-1 draw yeah that's right and as I say it, was, it, it fulfilled my dreams really and I can still remember the Tano, you know number one York City Andalina you know I thought me, I thought me, I thought it had gone I thought my chance had gone in professional football well it had happened these days to come into football and it probably not because everybody's in academies from an early age so uh, it was nice to get that first game and then running the team and uh, that particular season we, uh, we we were up near the, the top of what would it be League One now and then we we developed into a good cup run and we played the first round against Morecambe, which is a non-league side at the time. We beat them. And then the next game was against Whitby Town, which was a local derby for York City. Yeah. And we won 3-1, but it flattered us a little bit. We did well to get through. So now we're looking at the third round of the FA Cup. We think, come on, just a bit a big club. We drew Wickham Wanderers, which was another non-league club, but it was at home. You know? So we're thinking, oh, great. Well, chance of getting through. We beat them 2-0. And then... We're all sat around the radio. You come back from training, everybody's sat around the radio. Great buzz in the dressing room. We're thinking, right, come on, it's got to be a biggie this time. Fourth round of the FA Cup. We pulled out Altrincham, who was also a non-league side, who'd beaten Birmingham City in the last round. And that was a tough game, again, at Booth and Crescent. But we were fortunate we were getting home draws. And then the fifth round, we're thinking, right, we're back to the ground. Everybody in the dressing room, there's socks hitting you on the back of the head. People got cups of tea in the hand. It's complete silence, you know. And it came out of the hat. This is again York City were first out of the hat, and then number whatever, 23 or whatever it was, will play Liverpool. Five of these York players didn't face Liverpool a year ago. Goalkeeper Andy Leaning and number 11 Tony Cannon were both in local football then. Dale Banton, the club's record signing, was ineligible. And Dave McCourtry from Carlisle and Simon Mills from Sheffield Wednesday were bought from the profits of York's Cup exploits. And you've got to worry about just standing up as well as control. Dalgleish, who can master any situation. And Andy Leaning, with a fine save coming off his line. Break down that solid yellow line of defenders that Liverpool have mounted. But Warwin, and here's Gary Ford! York have the lead! So, my actual life had turned around from a year previous, wondering if I could play in one of these big games, to actually being going to play at Anfield and uh, we did great over two legs we we played on a pitch at Bootham Crescent which you wouldn't have played on today it was like concrete mm. 
it was rutted. There was about an, about six inches of uh, gap between the snow and the white line for corner kicks and everything that went with it. And it was just rock hard. It should never have been played. But, and they played their full strength, you know, people like Grobelar Hansen and Kenny Dalglish and Rush. It was them days when the first team played just about every game. And we went 1-0 up. And a lad called Gary Ford scored. He got laid a, a ball from Keith Walwyn, who was a, a, an old Chesterfield player, which we seem to inherit from. He did a good <laughs> movement between. <laughs> yeah. And uh, anyway, they, they equalised in the last, after, just shortly after that, they got a penalty, as Liverpool do. And uh, we drew 1-1 and uh, went up to Anfield on the Tuesday night. And we're expecting a battering because the, the year previous, it had been 7-0. And we went up to the Anfield. It's a pristine green surface. All the big hitters are out. They scored after about 19 minutes. John Walk scored. We thought, here we go. And on the stroke of our time, like called Tony Cannon, got an equaliser for us. And uh, we were well in the game. And I had a particularly good game, second half. And right at the death, the ball goes over the top. Keith Walwyn's running forward to it. Hanson, Gillespie, and Grobelau all come out. And Keith, who was strong as an ox, he just got a toe poke and it just rolled into the back of the net. And everybody stopped. Everybody turned around and thought we're winning 2-1. Uh, Bruce Grobler's getting lengthy treatment. And as soon as he got up, the referee gave a free kick in the, in the, in the, in the six-yard box. Even the Liverpool lads had said after that that it was, it was a goal. There was nothing wrong with it. So yeah, I've been on the back end of a few bad decisions. And uh, I'm sure we're going to come on to that with Chesterfield <laughs> as we go on. Yeah, but it was a great introduction to professional football for me. And... Uh, you know, a great group of lads at York City, which which were, you know, really the same as we, we had at Chesterfield. Similar clubs, tight-knit club, you know, similar sort of ground circumstances. And uh, that was that was how I got into football, really. Yeah, and you played a good, like, you played, what, about 70 games in a couple of seasons yeah. didn't you, for York, and then ended up at Sheffield United for a bit, and then Bristol Rovers for a bit. City, hey, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Bristol City. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In Wake United and Wednesday. Um, but yeah, it was Bristol United, but Bristol City. Uh, Sheffield United first, then and, and, uh, Bristol City, Lincoln, and then up to Chesterfield. Yeah. And you won the league, didn't you? you won, well, you won promotion, came second with Bristol City. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, as I say, that was. I initially went to, to Sheffield and uh, for, for a year. And uh, I was thrown in deep, and really, John Bridge was the number one goalkeeper, and I went up as uh, sort of number two. And that was my first introduction to sort of goalkeeper coaching. I mean, John was an absolute character. I mean, he literally used to take up a, like a you know, like a bar table, and we used to fire balls at it, and we'd do the angle off into the goal. And he'd have a, he'd have an old army jacket, and he'd have sand in the pockets, and we'd be diving about doing all these bits and pieces. And he was one of the first sort of people that were, were sort of looking at goalkeeper coaching and, and what they would have to do in the game because there wasn't a lot around at that time for, for keepers. It was just you did what, what you had to do until you got a big shout to go over and join the main group. So uh, it was good. And he, John left pretty early after that and I got thrown at the deep end and uh, had a decent season. And, but I did my need late on in the season, we were playing at Leeds. And uh, I never got back in the side after that. We got like called Graham Benstead in and uh, I ended up drifting off to Bristol, as we just talked about. Yeah. It's tough, isn't it, for goalkeepers? Because it's not like there's, it's not like there's, there's two of you up front or anything like that. And if you get out <laughs> injured for a bit, it's like one one position, yeah. isn't there? It's, it's tough, isn't it? I, I was so pleased in the, the Caribou Cup the other week when the lad played for Liverpool. You know, he got his chance, didn't he? And 
you know, and, he, and he, he's done well. But, I mean, there's always great camaraderie between goalkeepers. And, you know, I've certainly had that throughout my career. Um, you know, particularly at Chesterfield with Billy and, you know, other, other keepers that were there. You know, you work with each other because you have to do on a daily basis. So there's, there's competition. But, um, you know, you do, you do form a, a, a good bond with them. Yeah, and I suppose you can, uh, the whole goalkeepers union, you've got to have sympathy with each other as well, haven't you? If you see things that happen at the other end of the pitch. Yeah. You never yeah. know when it's going to happen to yourself, I suppose. <laughs> well, you're never more than two yards between success and failure. You know, it, it, you know. It, Kevin Randall actually used to say to me, it was a great piece of advice he gave me early, Don. He said, Andy, just be there when we need you. Don't come flying out. Don't get involved in this, but just make sure when all else fails that you can maybe stick a hand on it or do something like that. And, and, and it's good advice, really. But, yeah, the, 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 the camaraderie between keepers is always good. And, you, know, you know what's at stake because... As I said, mistakes are easy, and particularly now at the top level, the way that you know they're playing in, in the in the 18-yard box, and some of the some of the cutbacks and shots are coming. It's, it's it's tough to play, but we. I mean, initially, I just worked probably like a lot of lads my age. We just like throwing ourselves around, getting muddy. You know, that that was the way it was. So, but so fortunately, it ended up as a career. I've spoken to various uh, keepers as well in terms of how like heights of goalkeepers have changed over the years. You know, you get to a point yeah. where. All the goalkeepers are like nearly seven foot, and then now yeah. we're getting to a position where goalkeepers are getting a bit shorter again because they need to be quicker. They're, they're more like sweeper keepers, and they have to be a bit more outfield. A bit. Uh, it's, yeah. it's funny how things have changed, doesn't it? It must have changed. Yeah. Over the time when you were playing, in my era initially was Gordon Banks, and obviously another Chesterfield favourite when I was growing up. Um, you know, he was the England goalkeeper, and my vivid memories that save against Brazil in this blue shirt and. We didn't have the colour television at home. My dad's mate did. And we, we went around the corner. We always went to watch these games, England or cup finals. And of course, to see it in colour. And I, I'll never forget that save. And, uh, you know, I was always practising things like that in the back lane afterwards and thinking that, that's really what I want to do. But, I mean, Gordon Banks was not a big a big goalkeeper. Now, there was Pete, Peter Benetti, Peter Schultz, and all those from years ago. And probably uh, Peter, Peter Schmeichel changed the mould in terms of that big barrier goalkeeper. And, you know, then a lot of the European keepers came and the, the six foot plus, the big, the big goalkeeper. And even the English lads, you know, Aaron Ramsdale and people like that now, Nick Pope, you know, they're getting there. But it wasn't as, as, as big a thing in those days as, as, um, as it probably is now. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm leaning on the lamppost at the corner of the street in case a certain little lady comes by. All me, all my. Uh, we should mention uh, Lincoln quickly as well, just because everyone's got a Wikipedia. Well, a lot of people have got a Wikipedia page, and obviously the thing on the thing on yours always talks about George Formby uh, <laughs> chant coming from Lincoln. Do you want to explain that? <laughs> well, obviously with a name like Leaning, I mean, you know, <laughs> that it came out straight away, and it was nice. It was a, it was a nice thing between sort of the fans and, and myself, and uh, yeah, I joined uh, I joined Lincoln and. From Bristol City, I had some good years at Bristol, and then went to Lincoln. And, and Mick Pollitt was there as well, which uh, he played for Link, uh, for Chesterfield in uh, with the promotion side, and I ended up back coaching him in I think it was two thousand and one. Probably I think Nicky Law was managing them. And uh, so yeah, they, they, it was nice there. It was a good, it was a nice club, and uh, and that's probably where I started coaching really. 
Um, I was helping out with the, apart from doing the, you know, when I was working as a first team keeper, I was still doing a bit with the kids as well. So I think that's where my interest sort of grew. I'd done my badge a year previous, a couple of years previous with Bristol, when I was at Bristol City and I just decided to do a coaching badge and, it, and, and quite enjoyed it. And, you know, a few of the lads at Bristol with Steve McLaren was actually a Bristol City player. He did it on the same day with our first bits and pieces. And then it, it turned into that at Lincoln where, you know, unfortunately I didn't get a contract at the end of the second season. Jo, um, I think it John, John Beck was manager. And, I was, and that's when I drifted into sort of doing bits and pieces and, uh, and eventually came to Chesterfield. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so you came to Chesterfield. So it was 1996, wasn't it? Yeah. That's after a spell at Dundee. So I went, What was on my records there? I went, I left Lincoln and went up to Dundee to play in a tournament with a view to maybe signing for Dundee. So my registration had to change to go and play in this tournament. And it never came to fruition, but it always stayed on my record. So I never actually played a, a proper game for Dundee. I just played in a tournament in, against Livingstone and, and actually York City were in the tournament. But it never came to anything. And I just came back to Lincoln and did a bit of a goalkeeping school myself and worked with the kids at Lincoln, but not as a pro, you know, not as a player, in, in fact. So, and then, uh, and so then the Chesterfield situation arrived. How, how did it all happen then? Who was it? Who was giving you the call? Well, I rang John Duncan yesterday and I said to John, I said, but how did I end up at Chesterfield? How did it work? He said, I can't remember. I thought I was hoping he was going to say, I've been chasing for years, you know, and they said, we're going to break the bank. But no, that wasn't the case. We, and we discussed it. And what, what actually happened is, is we sort of got our heads together is Andy Beasley had unfortunately got a nasty injury at Chesterfield, I think the previous year. We left Billy on his own as a keeper and they needed some cover. And John gave me the call and probably through Kevin Randall as well, who I'd known for years, he'd say, well, he's obviously available. And they just said, will you come and have a chat with us? And that's how it went. And John said, well, you know, we're, we're looking for somebody to sort of come back up Billy and maybe do a bit of work with him. And I was looking to get into goalkeeper coaching. So I actually came to, to Chesterfield as a, Probably not on paper, but as a player coach, and that's how it that's how it that's how it went. And I just worked Billy and and played as and when necessary. Obviously, if he wasn't in the team or he got an injury or something like that. What were your first impressions of uh, of Billy then? Because obviously a great keeper for. Oh yeah, we we hit it off straight away, absolutely straight away. I mean, he's a character. He's funny, and and as I say, there's always a camaraderie between keepers. But we we hit it off straight away. We're we're like you know. Except joined at the hip, really, you know, and uh, but he, he was great to work with, and, and he had a good career, and you know, he's, I think, working as a, as a as a pair helped as well, you know, and I was I'd be like 36, 37 then, so you know, just nice to pass on that bit of experience, which probably I'd not had when I was younger, um, you know, and just somebody to bounce off. And, uh, you know, he, he, he was a good side. He, that, that, that was a good side. And, you know, they put it together well, John and, uh, and uh, Kevin. Yeah. And obviously he's now at uh, Burnley, isn't he, with Sean Dyche and Nicky Law? So yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that's right. He's had, and he's had a good career in coaching. And, and we, we sort of crossed swords again when I was at Sheffield United as a, as a coach. I was there for a good eight years. And then Billy joined Sheffield Wednesday. So it was back to this old rivalry of playing. And he would beat me a couple of times and I'd beat him a couple of times. Well, when I say I, I mean the teams, you know. And we'd always pull each other's legs a bit about it. But there'd be no phone call within the week to each other about what was going on then. We'd always have a beer on the get after the game on Saturday. But I'm delighted he's, he's gone into coaching and he's got the right personality to do it. And uh, yeah, it's going well for him and Sean as well. So... 
well, I suppose that in terms of the club uh, and 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 previous clubs you'd been at, I suppose there's like you said, there's quite some similarities between clubs like York and Lincoln mm. and Chesterfield, isn't there? So it must yeah, have felt yeah. quite familiar in some ways in terms of setup and things like that when you arrived. Yeah, that's right. I mean, as I, I think I, I, people have said before on this on this uh, podcast that there was nowhere to train. It was all true. We were always trying to find this. It was the same at Lincoln. It was the same at York. So, but I think that engineered the the, the group of players and, and the togetherness we sort of had. And you know, a lot of teams didn't like going to Chesterfield to play. I mean, it was always windy. No matter what happened at Salter Gate, you, you could turn around at half time with a, with a gale against you in your face, and you'd still find it in your face for second half. And uh, but I, I enjoyed playing there, and I think it was a bit of a fortress as well. You know, coupled with the fact that that teams knew they were going to have been for a tough a tough afternoon. Uh, you know, when they played it. Yeah, and like you say, Salter Gate. So as a goalkeeper, is that a nice place to play? Because obviously, the top of the hill, the wind does swirl around a bit, doesn't it? it can can be unpredictable. You say the more they play, you play there, the more you get used to it. But it's a bit of a culture shock if you're not used to playing under those conditions. Because as I say, it was it was always swirling a gale somewhere or sun or something. But I actually quite enjoyed playing there. You know, I really enjoyed playing at Saltergate. And obviously, it's a shame when it's gone. But it's a beautiful new stadium they've got now with the with the new community stadium. Yeah, and and that defence in front of the in front of you as well. It was a it was obviously a squad that was building. Obviously. Uh, towards this FA Cup uh, run and everything. It was a squad that had been assembled that was really good quality, wasn't it? Well, that's all credit to, to obviously, John and Kevin. I mean, sure, you know, they must have done the homework with, with the play. I mean, they were, you know, when you think Billy, Sean Dyche, you know, Darren Carr was there playing well. You've got Kevin Davis, you've got Paul Holland, you've got Tom Curtis. Chris Beaumont was underrated by people, I think. Even Chris Perkins and Julesy. Everybody could slot into... Um, into that system, and you know it's, it's well known that John drilled the outfield players well, and that was probably good for me and Billy because we used to drift off. Uh, we say, "Do you need us, Gaffer?" He go, "Oh no, you you can get off." And we'd go and do something at the far side where all the lads were going through this uh, tactical play. But looking back on it, without without their um, input and the way they they went about things in terms of organisation, you know, it it helps with the players they had. And John was meticulous in his planning, and even down to to throw-ins and winning back a throw, throwing back and and a regain and get it into a certain place, and and it all helps. And to be quite honest, players could come in, players could slot in, and knew the system perfectly. And you know, even myself would come in just to play if Billy was was not injured, and it was just one in, one out, and that's the way it went. And the, the the team seemed to be able to get results everywhere, really, particularly one nilers. I mean, you lose to love a clean sheet, John. You know, if we got one nil in front, certainly away from home, there's only going to be one winner. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> it was not. Oh, you're right. Yeah. So what? So what were your specific instructions then, in terms of a, in terms of your position under a John Duncan team as a keeper? Yeah. Did you keep ball? Yeah, that was it. Just be there when we need you, as Kevin Rattles said. <laughs> Don't come flying out. Um, you know. The, the, you just had to do your bit as and when needed. But as I say, it was it was good to play behind because they were very defensively sound. So, you know, it was it was usually doing the basics regularly. And, you know, if you had that saving your as and when needed, that, that was the main thing to do. You know, get your kicking right, good, good supporting play, uh, good communication with the lads at the back. But actually, they nearly did it themselves, them lads, them defenders. They were that good at, um, at playing at that time. Yeah, you, you were called on a fair few times, weren't you, over, the, over that kind of, what was it, about four years, was it? Uh, yeah, 
you called in a fair few times. I saw I was looking at the at the at the squad at the fixture <laughs> lists and everything last night, and and there were little spells, weren't there, where Billy got bits of injuries and things, and obviously I suppose yeah. that was at the time when an outfield player went in for a bit. Well, Jamie, it? Jamie, I mean, Jamie used to do it. Um, he went in goal a couple of times, and you know the lads were quite confident. He was quite confident doing it. And, Funnily enough, when I worked for Neil Warnock at Sheffield United later on, we used Phil Jack Elker a lot, who was who played in, who played in three or four games, finishing in a in a game against Arsenal in the Premier League, and he didn't look out of place. So John had always probably get try and get an extra forward on the bench or sort of maybe a defender, whatever was needed on the day. But um, yeah, I played with a fair few. I mean, the the big one was the week before the semi final, um, where Billy got clattered. I forget the game, but the weekend previous, he got he got clattered, and right under his rib cage, and he, he was he was proper struggling. And uh, we played Watford on the Tuesday evening at Saltergate prior to the game on the Sunday. And I actually played in that mm. in that game. And John said, "Just be careful, don't get injured. We want to, you know, just get yourself ninety minutes just in case you need it." And uh, anyway, fortunately, Billy came through as he as he normally did. And you know he was, he was he he you know the way he played in that cup run as all the lads had, you know he deserved his day along with the rest of them to be playing at um, at Old Trafford and and you know, nearly getting a result obviously. Um, and then even on the replay, the funny thing on the replay is is that he got clattered again. I think it was against Millwall and Jamie Hewitt ended up in goal, and so I'm back on standby for this replay. Anyway, fortunately, he got through and got fit again. And obviously, it was, it was Middlesbrough's day that, that particular day. But I remember finishing the season off. Um, we had about, because with the cup ties, there was a lot of games to catch up on. And I think we played about, we played four or five games in a week. Mm. And I think we won three out, of the, three, out, three out of the five or six, whatever it was. And just about missed out on, on the playoff spot. You know, a couple of points short of the playoff spot. If, if it had gone well, so... Uh, it was nice to play. Yeah, enjoyed it. Well, after both sides have done wonders in representing the second division in both the major cup competitions, Stockport County in the Coca-Cola and Chesterfield in the FA Cup, both sides beaten by Middlesbrough. Well, it's their cup final tonight. Both sides simply... Oh, now Strong did well. The bounce might favour the defender, but he's made a mess of it! Oh, the keeper's so brilliant! Oh, it was a goal all the way, and he's just leaving and just managed to get his steps to it. Yeah, I was going to say, that fixture congestion after the FA Cup was mad, wasn't it? Aesthetic. <laughs> yeah. But, well, the third... Probably, I'm trying to think what the day was. Probably played uh, Chesterfield on the Tuesday. On the Thursday, we played, I think it was Watford. We beat them away from home. We beat Crewe. On the on the Saturday, that was away from him. So you got two games on the road with not a scratch side, but you know people who've been you know brought into play as, as big a squad as we we had, which you know wasn't that big. And and then, then I think we got beaten in Stockport County, we were the eventual winners of the league on the Monday. And then there was another game fixed in somewhere else, and we beat Notts County on the final game of the season. So the lads were running on empty, but it had been a great season, and it was uh, it was good to enjoy. Yeah, just having a look at that. Yeah, you're right. It was uh, all very well remembered. Yeah, after that Middlesbrough, we had Watford, Crew, Stockport, Bristol City, Notts County. Ah, that's right, because yeah, yeah, my old club. How could I forget them? Yeah, Bristol City it was. Yeah, it was nice to go there and get a bit of a, you know, and see a few old faces. Yeah, and uh, and like you say, you you started all 
all five of those, didn't you, at the end? So it was... Uh... That was it, yeah. Bill, well, Billy, I mean, he just he was like a boxer. I think he got... The first injury was under his ribs. The second injury was an impact injury, but he got through the two semis and did himself great credit, as, as all the lads did. But it was just time enough then for him to say, right, I need a rest here. And, and of course, nobody was expecting to get in the playoffs, but anyway, it was just fulfilling fixtures. But, you know, the way the lads sort of grouped together... Um, you know, they, they still put a shift into to have a good end to the season, and it's always important to finish well. I always think as a as a team because it can it takes you into the following season. Yeah, what what are your memories then of that FA Cup run? Because obviously we're twenty fifth anniversary this year. What are your yeah, at that time, <laughs> I'm going to write a couple of things. The the couple of things that I do remember, daft little things that you remember, is that so I remember the Forest game. This is nothing to do with football. Um, we, we, we're going into the, into the car park near uh, Chesterfield near Saltergate. It was at St Mary's at the end. There was a car park there. Bang in front of me is John Watson trying to get into the game. Of course, he can't get back the, the car park, park steward. You know what they're like on gates like that. And I, I'm trying to get into the ground. I got up and I said, you know he's commentating today. Don't he? He went, oh, no, he is, but he ain't got a pass. I said, come on, just let him in. Anyway, he went, he went into the game, you know. And, uh, you know, I remember that. And it was... You know, it was just a, it was just a good time to be at the club, and I think that the, the one I remember the most would, would be the Wrexham game because that was the one where we had most to lose. I, I fancied us against Forest, and particularly on the day, I don't think they fancied it, and we got a great result there. But the Wrexham game was was the one where if you'd have lost, you'd, nobody had ever remembered anything. So there was a lot riding on that, and I'm not so sure if I remember rightly, it was the was it the Battle of Saltergate a couple of weeks before that. And I don't think Kevin Davis played in that Wrexham game. I don't think Darren Carr was available played. Maybe there was a, a couple of others. It was a bit of a, not a scratch squad, but some of the big players were missing. And then on Sunny Aero, Chris Bowman pops up with a goal to, to take us into the semi-final. So it was, yeah, it was fantastic to, uh, to be involved in that and think that you're going to play a part in, uh, or be involved in, in, a, in a game of that magnitude, really. And in, in nearly win it. I mean, you know, we all know what happened on the day. Um, and I remember it too. I think it was when it got to two 0 and you, you start thinking, "Whoa, this is this could be happening here." Mm. And uh, of course, the John Howard goal and talked about um, refereeing decisions as well. And you know, it looks pretty blatant today. And with it, with, this, with today's technology, it had been given, and uh, and I think would have been there. But again, John and Kevin were brilliant. They kept it low key. We went down a couple of days before. I think we even had a beer on the Thursday, just just nothing silly, just just everybody was when we trained the next day and they trained the day after that. And you know, the structure they'd put in place with um Julesy, Mark and Janino, and really being a 10 v 10 with the rest. And you know, I mean for Jamie, for Jamie to score that, you know, for the equaliser, it was just I was absolutely delighted for him. Yeah, it was amazing stuff, wasn't it? How how did you view it from <clears throat> from where you were watching it then in terms of that ball going over the line? Because it was uh, it it was I, I was just watching it back the other day and on the commentary and stuff and then afterwards they said oh Ellery said it was a a foul on a, a foul by Andy Morris but that was after it had already crossed the line so oh, that was a load of rubbish but yeah. how did you view yeah. it from where you were at the yeah. time? well that game you know the game was you know everybody you, you seem to know when there's this decision don't you whether it's yours or not and you know the way John hit it I'm sure it might even been Jamie up there again I forget it was just turned away naturally turned away and I think they put their hand up or their arm up um, but obviously it's not given and uh, 
And it was just a shame that you couldn't, well, that, the minute three one, am I right? And that would have been three one. And that's a big mountain to climb. When they had 10 men as well, don't forget, they went out to 10 men. It's interesting as well. I think it was Mark Jules, I think, when I was speaking to him, he was saying that he doesn't know whether actually the players and the management and everyone got a bit caught up in the occasion a bit because he was like, we were 2 0 up. Like, everyone knows what happens when Chesterfield are 2 0 up. We'd like shut up shop, but he said we were kind of were still going forward at 2 0 and it felt a bit anti <laughs> what was what usually happened. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't sort of see it like that. I think, I think just the atmosphere on the day makes you, you know, um, you know, you, you're competing against a team that, that actually at the time we were, we were doing okay against. So, uh, you know, it was, it was just great. It'd be nice to have finished it off. And obviously when, when John's glasses came off and everything, it was, it, you know, icing on the cake. Well, Kevin's glasses. <laughs> oh, Kevin's, right. <laughs> it weren't his glasses, were they? <laughs> it's borrowed them. <laughs> so how was it the following seasons then? Because obviously then a lot of the players obviously moved on, didn't they? Got sold, went uh, higher up the league and stuff like that. It was a bit of a, a rebuild job in some ways, I suppose, wasn't it? It was. And... Um, yeah, and I think John, did John leave just shortly after that? Maybe a couple of seasons after that. Maybe seasons after, yeah, yeah, and and I finished then as well, um, but actually ended up coming back as a as a coach. So, yeah, when you're losing players of you know caliber of Kevin and 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 I think did Daichi go then and Billy shot just after that, it was always going to be a, a big ask um, to to keep it going. So. Um, I ended up getting an injury. I was, I was again another games where I ended up playing. We played Middlesbrough in the cup, and uh, Gaza played. It was one of his last games when he was playing for Middlesbrough, and I ruptured my thigh that night, and that that would just about finish me off. So uh, yeah, it was a different. It was a different time, and I, I, uh, I it was time for me to call it a day then. As uh, and as I said, just a little bit had changed in the club, but as I say, I came back to work with Nicky and. Uh, as a goalkeeper coach for Mick Pollitt and then for Dave Rushbury as well when, uh, was it Nathan Abbey, when Nathan was there? Yeah. And oh, I got my foot back in the door, you know, and I was just a coach there coming in a couple of days a week and uh, I was freelancing, which was which was hard, really. I mean, my Monday started. I used to go to Chesterfield Monday morning. Uh, I used to go to do Sheffield United on, on Monday afternoon. Um, I'm doing a bit of work with York College and... And cost them changing kit every minute. I was doing a little bit of work with Scarborough, who was just up the road. And certainly Monday was was just manic. And the Tuesday was manic trying to get all these clubs in to do a bit of coaching. So and uh, then eventually I got the job at, at Sheffield United, um, working with them as well. So it was turned into full time really. But uh, no quite quickly then from did it feel quite easy going? I suppose you were doing bits of coaching anyway, weren't you? Yeah. So I suppose well, Simple. I drifted into that with when John took me on at uh, and Kevin took me on at um, you know it was a, it was a path I'd like to have gone into, and uh, so I'd been really I mean I was always thankful to to John and Kevin for giving me an insight in what it's like to be a coach and and, and be the other side of the fence not the fence but you know different from being a player and see all the bits and pieces that go with it you know all the all the things that 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 you know organizing training organizing you know where you're going to play and everything goes with it so it was just good to sit and listen to the lads and uh, and, and to learn something off them really from that point of view yeah and obviously you mentioned a few keepers that you were uh, kind of coaching then uh mm-hmm. nathan abbey is an interesting one because he 
Yeah. Didn't he get player of the year, I think, that season he was here or something? But he goes down as in history of get, as getting a bit of stick. It's uh, It seems an odd one. He was a good keeper, Nathan. He played, he played at Luton as a kid and then came to Chesterfield. And I thought he did OK. I thought he, I thought he was pretty steady um, in those days. And I th- he probably only played, what, a season, season and a half, something like that. He wasn't that he wasn't particularly long. And as I said, then I drifted off and went went more full time at, uh, at uh, at Sheffield. So, but it was it was you know it was a good transition and a good insight into the game. And you know it was just good to play at the club at that time. And one of the one of the best games we played in, we played at Manchester City in the uh, and we ended up getting a one one draw. And uh, see, I spoke to John yesterday just to recall it, and I said. Do you know that day? Because Billy got injured. I said, Do you know, I nearly never made it to the ground. He went, he said, no. Um, Chesterfield went from Chesterfield, obviously, and I was living in York. And I went up the A64 and down the M62. And there was the biggest pile up of traffic ever. And I'd set myself a load of time to get there. And of course, there's, there's, there's only me because Billy's injured. And I got to the ground at uh, about, it would literally be about 10 to 2. And I parked a couple of streets away and legged it for the last you know, a few hundred yards because I wouldn't have made the team sheet. And I knew that they'd be panicking. I wouldn't have made the, made the ground, you know. Anyway, I got there and uh, first minute, um, John's, as usual, keep it tight, you know, don't want any goals going in, keep it tight, nil-nil at halftime. And somebody's laid one back to my left foot and I've gone to control it and he's bounced over my left foot and they've got a corner. And I always remember the ball coming in and centre-half met it with such pace and he crashed onto the crossbar and went over and, we got away with it. And I could see John looking at me as much as to say, you know, don't you be messing with plans up too early. And then the, the second half came and uh, it was a back to the wall job. And, you know, I was making a couple of saves. The lads were digging in. And then right at the death, I made a couple of blocks. And then the third shot, I think Sean Gauter hit it. And Jamie was on the line, Jamie Ewan. And he just turned it around the corner and they got a penalty. And uh, it, I thought, all oh, right, here we go. We, but we were, we, you know, we were 1-1 at the time. Reeves had scored. And uh, I remember just diving to my left. And it, was, it was just nice. Bottom cup, but I got hold of it. And it got us a great point on the day. It was just funny to tell John that uh, his head of, uh, hair had just stood on end on that Saturday if he'd realised I was that close to missing again. I don't read, I don't read the pudding goal. First away league goal has been a long time coming. It came against the run of play at Main Roads. David Reeves' initial shot was saved, but he pushed the rebound past homekeeper Tommy Wright. Lee Bradbury, meanwhile, has failed to live up to his hefty price tag after a big money move from Portsmouth. Under pressure to deliver, he eased his nerves with the equaliser. Joe Royal's side should really have gone on and won it. Their wastefulness in front of goal was a sight to behold. Sean Gota missed an absolute sitter and was then to feature in the most dramatic moment of the game. The Bermudan international thought he'd finally done enough, only for Jamie Hewitt to handle on the line. He was sent off. And it was all down to Andy Leaning in the visitors' goal to produce something special. He did just that. Go to the culprit. I'm very impressed as well that whenever you quote John Duncan, you don't fall into an impression because every player I speak to, they all fall into a, hey, boys. <laughs> the funny thing was, he used to ring on a Friday. I didn't used to go in initially on a Friday. I'd have two good sessions, Tuesday, Thursday with Billy. And, you know, they'd be there off on a Wednesday, a bit, of, bit of, you know, depending on what was happening on the Monday. 
and I'd always get a phone call with that. You just said, hey, boy, just give me a ring uh, just to let you know Billy got a bit of a calf, so be ready, you know. And uh, it'd be on the answer machine at home. So uh, I, I said to John, I said, oh, it's ready. I'm not out. I'm not doing anything. You know, if I ever need to play, I'll, I'll be able to play. Yeah, he's, he's got his own style as John. Great style as well. But yeah, and a, a, a great sense of humour as well. Like when, we, when he was on the podcast, he's, uh, he's got quite a wicked sense of humour, I think. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he has. He has. And Kevin as well. Kevin was the same. I mean, um, I think probably Kevin was instrumental in me getting the job at Sheffield because he, he'd gone there as chief scout and they were looking for a goalkeeper uh, coach. And then and I worked with him again at Leeds um, when Neil took him to, to Leeds and we were both working there. But yeah, Kevin's got a great sense of humour and John as well. But when it was business, it was business. When he was trying to get his uh, his points across as a as a coach, it was more serious. But no, it was good fun. And uh, the, the lads loved him to bits. And both of them, really. You know, they'd run through a brick wall from really. And I think that was why we had the success that we had. So how did all the um, all the coaching badges go? Because you did get, we got pretty much every coaching badge available, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, a fellow called Ricky Sprazier, somebody some might know, he, he played with me at York. And I remember when uh, um, I was sort of just finishing playing and you know, what am I going to do? And I rang him up, he was working at Sunderland, and I said, oh, I'm going to be a goalkeeper coach. He said, um, I said, all right. I said, is anything going, Ricky? And he went, I'll ask you the question somebody asked me. He said, uh, what badges have you got? And I went, none. He said, so you're not looking to be a goalkeeper coach. You've just finished playing, and you don't know what to do with yourself. And I went, that's a good point, Ricky. He said, go and get your badges. And uh, he said, if you can put your badges to your experience, he said, you know, you'll be fine. And uh, I must have enjoyed, enjoyed doing them. It was a hard slog because certainly when you got to air license standard, it was a fortnight down at Lillishaw um, in the summer when, you know, you could be finishing sort of, you know, mid-May or something like that and two weeks and then family holidays and you'd be back to it straight away. But uh, again, there was just a collection of good players from throughout the leagues trying to um, get the, the foot on the coaching badge, uh, coaching ladder. And then, in between that, I was dovetailing the goalkeeper coaching one because you had to do the, the outfield one before you could do the the, the goalkeeping one. So uh, yeah, I just kept plodding on with a group of us just to try and uh, you know to try, try and be you know be credible, I suppose, and show that you were you know you're working in line to be a coach. And a lot of the lads were obviously Dates, You've got you know Tommy Curtis, and I mentioned Tommy yet, but you know Tommy's working with England now, yeah. and. You know, I'd still go back to some of the meticulous planning that, that that John had and Kev had that rubbed off on us in a way that when we did start going to the coaching side, we you know we thought about things quite deeply, really. Yeah, and it's one of the things I was going to ask you about coaching badges because uh, so there is like the like a bolt-on specialism part of being a goalkeeping coach. Then, what kind of stuff does that cover? Well, you'd use basically, you know, how to make a, you know, how to deal with crosses, how to sort of support player behind defenders, and you have to set it up in in that manner. And it's quite funny because on the outfield badges, uh, some of the uh, you do with goalkeeping topic topic, and all the lads who get it, if they're not goalkeepers, they panic. The face just drops. That you know, they don't know what to do. They don't know how to coach it. So. Um, yeah, it's quite specific, but the, the goalkeeping ones are good because the, you're all goalkeepers together. And you're all trying to, you know, get each other through, and I quite enjoyed those really. Mm. Yeah, and like you said, you you uh, loads of clubs. Then coach, you were at Sheffield United for 
a long time, weren't you? And then yeah, that was yeah. And and again, I think Kevin maybe um, he was there as chief scout, and uh, they were looking. And uh, I think maybe he must have put work waiting for me, and I was you know delighted with that. And that was working under Neil at uh, at Sheffield, and you know that was that was a great first season to be involved in. When we got to the um, semi final of the cup. You know, remember the famous David Seaman save where he pulled, he clawed it back from Paul Pesky's leader. Yeah. We got to the semi-final of the, the League Cup and the playoff final. So we played every game that season apart from two cup finals. And, and that was it. And the lads were on the feet. And unfortunately, we got we got beaten by Wolves on the in the playoff final, 3-0. But we were as as good as side in that division, but it was just the legs ran out on that particular day. So I suppose um, it would have been what would it be Paddy Kenny then around then, was it? Paddy, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Me and Paddy joined at the same time, and uh, you know we're another lad we had a great relationship and still speak to today. And you know, good company, uh, liked working hard. Same as Billy, you know, you know, liked wanted to improve, and uh, we just came together at the right time. And we had some great seasons there, really. You know, we got promotion to the Prem and and some good cup runs as well. And you know, it was just nice to to work with them. You know, individually and you know, as a collective group as well, three and four of you, you always get a good good session going. And Neil was as very similar to John. You know, I brought you here to deal with the keepers, um, so just that's your job. You know, don't be coming to see me. And I remember saying to Neil early doors, I said, Neil uh, Gaffer, sorry, do you, do you want the uh, do you want the keepers in the afternoon? He went, Andy, I don't care if you take them to pub as long as they play well. You just do what you want to do. And I thought, great, that gives me the licence to, to, to do what we need to do. And uh, it was good. And as I say, the Phil Jagielka used to join in with us. And he was he was he was good in goal. And and that freed up another position on the bench, should we need it. And uh, you know, he was pretty good and he could parry a lot of things. He, he wasn't hundred sure about catching things. And we used to play a game called Goalie Wars, where you just put the goals 18 yards apart and put two keepers in and just literally smash balls as hard as you can and just getting parrying saves and stuff like that. And Jags would be pulling his, he'd be doing it with his feet like a, like a control, you know, as well as parrying. But he did such a good job of it. And, uh, you know, he'd come in in three or four games to, to, to look comfortable in that position. So I'm probably putting you on the spot and you might not want to name names, but obviously apart from yourself, who's the who's the best goalkeeper that you kind of worked with, either coaching or or kind of playing alongside? No, man. I'm going to say this really because I, I work closely with him, but, you know, the, the improvement that they both made, Billy and, and Paddy, and both sort of similar characters and people that you, you wanted to do well, you know, it was just good to see them to to sort of improve, you know, and, and get better over the years. Um, best keeper. Well, I'll stick with them two and let's keep it diplomatic. Eh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can have one at each end of the pitch, I suppose. <laughs> I'll not let you pick a favourite. <laughs> did you uh, did you ever use Linda's sandwich shop? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that, yeah, we did, yeah. Um, I used to travel in with... Um, uh, Steve Tootill occasionally and a lad called Ian Dunn who played with us so you know it'd be, as soon as you finish training straight into Linda's for a, for a sandwich and, and as usual eating it as you're driving because everybody wanted to get off and going home you know not the right thing to do I must admit but um, it was uh, yeah we always used to pile in there and get some food before we left yeah, it was quite an institution is it still there is it I presume it's under new ownership but it is still under- it's still a sandwich shop but it's under new ownership yeah. 
what did you used to have? Oh, Christ. Um, I don't know. It'd be something something unhealthy, I would have thought. Usually tuna and mayo or something like that. But it was a big old sandwich and it, it got you certainly got you from uh, Chesterfield to nearly uh, Woodall Services on way on back to York. So, you know, it, it, it was plenty to go at. But it's just a big change in the game now. I mean, the lads are fed, they're looked after, you know. It was very different in uh, in our days, really, you know, in terms of pre-match meal and, and stuff like that. There, there was not so much advice about it, but... Uh, yeah, straight into there. And sometimes a bacon sandwich before the game on a Saturday for me used to make it salt again, as long as nobody found out. And then onto the coach and up and away you go. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, so what's your kind of presiding memories of Chesterfield then? Obviously, I suppose there's FA Cup runs, like that Man City game that you mentioned and things like that. But is there anything that kind of sticks out in the mind from your time at Chesterfield? Um just grateful to have to have been involved in it and 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 actually, you know, the people that were there made a big influence on me sort of coaching career on top of that, you know, and to be given a free reign basically. And, you know, say John just said, get on with it, do what you need to do. And if you, if we need you, make sure you fit. So that really, and you know, the, you know, the cut runs that went with it, um, they, they don't happen very often. And I remember also, you know, coming home from, uh, from the semi-final and the, the fans in the street and then the, the bus ride at the end of the season was, was phenomenal. Just to see people's faces, and you know, after was it one in four, something stupid like that? Was it the game that day? Chesterfield was a, it was a ghost town, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the fans at that end were. It was just, I mean, it's just a day to remember, isn't it? Really. Yeah. So I'd, I'd say that. I think I'd say yeah. Just, the, just the lads that were there, the, and the manager and the, and the assistant, who have you know, great time for. And uh, I think that's my under, uh, overriding memory of, of the time at Saltergate, really. And that's why I'd like him to do well in, uh, and get back in the league. 